Thank you for listening to this sermon from Goodwill Church, located in New York's Hudson Valley. Goodwill Church is on a mission to be a hub of revival in the Northeast and beyond. For more information about our church, please visit goodwillchurch.org. Now, here's the sermon. We are here in the middle of our month, the middle of our five-week sermon series focusing on the heart. It's a little different in a couple of ways. Most of the time I do expository sermons through books of the Bible. This is still expository because I really know how to do different styles. But it's a little different in that it's based on the theme of the heart, the 850 times that the word heart shows up in Scripture. We're looking at Jeremiah mostly today. And the, the verse, the core verse, is from Jeremiah 4, 7, 24, 7, excuse me, and it's really easy to remember because of that, Jeremiah 24, 7, I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord, they will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their hearts, Jeremiah 24, 7. Pray with me if you would. Lord, we want to do exactly that, and that's what you cause to happen in us, that we return to you. And we're grateful, Lord, for the work of your Holy Spirit. We're grateful, Lord, for how you, by your Spirit, open up your word to us. You, you open us up with your word. You change us. We do not have what you give us until you give it to us. And we don't have even a little bit. We don't meet you half the way. We don't have half of it, and you give us the other half. You give us the heart a heart to know you. Oh, we need that. We ask for that. And we ask that we would do exactly what it says in this verse, that we would return to you with our hearts together. Return to you. In your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So when somebody presents you a gift, that's the theme of the of the sermon, that heart change is a gift, that the things having to do with our heart are, are, are gifts. So I want you to picture this. If somebody, somebody giving you a gift, yeah, for your birthday, Christmas, special occasion, and even before you open it, that gift is already yours, right? Right? Amen? So you own it. It belongs to you. In fact, you could leave it somewhere in your home unopened for the rest of your life. And, you know, never knowing what's in it, never knowing what's inside the box, and it would still be 100% yours. You would own it. It would belong to you. So, we are focusing this month on the heart, what the Bible says about our heart, specifically what the Bible says about not losing heart. But our central verse today from the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah 24-7, suggests that we actually can't lose heart. And this is why, it has to be why, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4-16, therefore we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. It's, he's not presenting it as a choice that we make about our hearts to lose them or not, but a choice, rather, that God makes. 
He's the one who makes the choice. He's the one who makes the choice about our hearts. God is why and how we do not lose heart. Our hearts are a gift from Him. More so, our changed hearts are a gift from Him. Heart change is a gift. Do you trust Jesus Christ for eternal life? Do you believe that Jesus died for your sins on the cross? This faith, then, with your changed heart that houses it, is a gift. You own it. It belongs to you. It was given to you by God. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people. I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their hearts. So a heart that knows the God of the Bible is the Lord is a changed heart. The people of God are a community set apart from others and united to each other based on this one factor, changed hearts. So that's what makes us a church. Not the building, not the services, not the many things that happen, not all the other parts of our life together as a community, those are all expressions of who we are as a church, part of the church. But what makes us the church is that we are a community of people whose hearts have been changed the same way by the same one. We're a community of changed hearts. And this is what Jesus has done for us. This is why we pray our Father, because He has made His Father our Father and God. He's done that. And the great act of redeemed humanity is driven by our shared, changed hearts, the act of returning to Him, and we do so because of Him with all our hearts. However, there's a problem. And it's really a host of, a a bunch of problems, a host of problems. And it all starts guess where, in the heart. Sticking with Jeremiah, and and the 49 times that he mentions heart in his 52-chapter prophecy, and at the end getting some help from a brother prophet, Ezekiel, and the 33 times he mentions heart in his book, we're going to look at this problem, and it's laid out perfectly in yet another very famous verse from Jeremiah, Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Okay. Well, there we go, right? Now what? We know this is true painfully true. Apparently, there are two conditions available to the human heart. One has us returning to the Lord. The other has us not returning to the Lord, or in other words, it has us being deceived and sick, not just sick, desperately sick. Just look at this verse. Deceitful above all things. That means our hearts, unchanged, are the most dangerous things about us. That's the most toxic part of us, an unchanged heart. And we can 
trace back through a few of the 49 times that Jeremiah references the heart, and we can research this dichotomy, this, this phenomenon, this train wreck that is the human heart turned away from God. And so if we just turn, if we just go from here to the beginning of his prophecy and just kind of work through a few of the verses, it'll be like doing research into this problem. And we want to do so knowing Jeremiah's purpose in writing this book. So Jeremiah was a prophet who prophesied after the fall of Israel in 722 B.C. And he began his prophetic work before the fall of Judah in 586 B.C. But his prophetic work continued through the fall of Jeremiah. So he warned the people that terrible things would happen and terrible things did happen. So that's why we have Jeremiah. And then right after Jeremiah, you have the book of Lamentations. Ever read that book? Yeah. Cheerful stuff. Not. It's like walking through carnage, like dead bodies and burning and wreckage and ruin. And you have that for five chapters. And then right in the middle, you have a little respite. You know, the your mercies are new every morning, you read, right in the middle of that. So it shows the worst of all circumstances. And in the midst of this, in the heart of this, Jeremiah expresses that even in the worst of all circumstances, God is God. And if he's got your heart, you're okay. Even though nothing is okay, if he's got your heart, you're okay. So Jeremiah really is the prophet of the heart. He's called the weeping prophet. And his business is about instilling hope in the heart of those who experience this, who experience judgment, who experience defeat. He wants them to remember that if God is changing their hearts, then he's changing their destiny. He's changing their future. And it's true for us as well. I know you think you need to change your circumstances. I know out there there's all kinds of teachings and sermons that tell you how to be successful, seven steps to this, seven steps to that, how to get more power, more anointing, da-da-da-da-da. All right, but that's not going to help. That's just more stuff to do, uh, you know, more exhortation to, to work harder. The real change is the change that God brings, and he brings it first and foremost to your heart. Amen? Yes, amen. That was kind of a weak amen. Amen? It's true. It's, if you have a problem right now with your circumstances, if you're twisted and knotted up and, and angry about this, bitter about that, you're confused, you're frustrated, those things are all problems, but at the heart of those problems is your heart. It's your heart. Get that right. And the one who gets that right, who makes that right, is God. And then you'll see your problems for what they are. And if you're anything like me, and you probably are in some ways and probably not in other ways, but I look at, I have all these problems, I'm all twisted up, I'm all defensive, and, I'm, ah, and it shows up in my prayers. God does a work in my heart. And then I come back and look at the same set of problems, and right away, half of them are not a problem anymore. Well, I was making that a problem. That's not a problem anymore. And then the other half, they're problems, but now I can face them. I don't exaggerate how hard they are or how impossible it would be to solve this problem or that problem. And that's all what God does 
in the heart. That's why it's so important that we do not lose heart. And it's a priority for God, and Jeremiah feels the priority. That's why he talks so much about the heart. And let's, let's do some research into the negative aspect of that, going through a few verses. Go back a few verses to Jeremiah 17.5, and it says this, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So we're getting some insight there. Right? This is how heart loss comes to be. It's where and who we place our trust in, or where we put our trust. And many of us struggle with this because we say we trust God, but we really trust our circumstances. If there would be more money in the bank, if I would win that argument, if so-and-so would apologize to me, if, just fill in the blank, then things would be better. And so we're not trusting God his word, the change he makes in our hearts, we're trusting something else. And in the Bible, it doesn't give us gray room. If we're trusting something else, we're trusting a lie. That's what we're trusting. And God wants us not to do that from the beginning. That's been his, his mission through leaders, shepherds, meaning kings, and prophets like Jeremiah. So uh, here's more, working backwards a couple chapters to 13.10. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who stubbornly follow their own heart and have gone after other gods to serve them and worship them shall be like this loincloth, which is good for nothing. So that's an undergarment. That's, uh, so you're like, you know, that's an a obvious picture painted there for us. Uh, the fact is that the condition of our hearts influences the condition of everything else in our lives. So if you're, if you're looking at your circumstances, you're seeing symptoms, perhaps, and you're the one who God is directing to take a look at your life. If you're looking at these circumstances, perhaps you're seeing symptoms, not that they are the problem, but that your heart is the problem. Because what happens in the heart influences everything else in life. And these people have gone so far that now they're engaged in idolatry. Whenever you see that word, you know that somebody is doing something that's the opposite of what God wants. It's the opposite of being blessed. It's the opposite of being open to being blessed. Now you have rejected God. You've rejected the word. You've rejected the promises of God. And you've embraced a lie. You've made a lie into a God that you worship. So it's, it's always a strong word when you see it in Scripture, the word idolatry. Uh, we, we can't hide from the condition of our hearts, and we certainly can't hide from God. And he's studying our hearts, going back a couple more chapters, but this people has a stubborn and rebellious heart. They have turned aside and gone away. So we're gonna, I'm, I'm bringing us you know, back to the beginning of this 52-chapter book because the beginning is where Jeremiah states his purpose, that he wants his people to not lose heart, that he wants his people to have hope no matter what, hope despite the worst of circumstances. But they won't have any of it if their hearts are in the wrong place, if their hearts are stubborn and rebellious, if they've turned aside and gone astray. God 
tells us that our problems with him are heart problems. Just a chapter before that, says, Jerusalem, wash your heart from evil that you may be saved. How long shall your wicked thoughts lodge within you? So if our, if our hearts can be washed, well, then we have hope. There can come a time when wicked thoughts don't live rent-free within us. They can be dislodged. How? How? Who, who's going to do this? If we know ourselves well enough, we know that we don't have the ability to do this for ourselves. And this is Jeremiah's prophetic focus. He wants the troubled people of God to not lose heart. He wants them to see that they have a future. And here is a verse before that. We're getting to the beginning. At that time, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord. So at the beginning, he projects past all the carnage, past the end of his book, the end of Lamentations. At that time, in the future, Jerusalem shall be called the throne of the Lord, and all nations shall gather to it, to the presence of the Lord in Jerusalem, and they shall no more stubbornly follow their own evil heart. There it is. So, a very famous verse from Jeremiah as well, Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future. A lot of us love that verse. It's on our coffee cups, right? It's on a poster. It's on a t-shirt, and hopefully it's written in our hearts too, and really it's talking about our hearts. If you have a future, the future that God is talking about through Jeremiah in 2911, then you have that future because your heart has been changed. You've received the gift of heart change from God, and therefore you've received this future, this great future, this great promise that he has for us. It all comes back to the heart. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their hearts. And we're just scratching the surface here of what Jeremiah says about the heart. Verse after verse outlines the same conflict, the duality, the duplicity here. A lot comes out when we look at different verses in context, like that 17.9 verse. You just look at the verse after it, 10. Now here's 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Next verse, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. So the importance of the condition of our hearts, I mean, it, it can't be overstated. Just to borrow a verse, there's many like it in Proverbs, keep your heart with all vigilance. That's why it says what it says. That's why the Bible says things like this all the time. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. So I look at this, and you know that my own struggles have inspired this sermon series, which was not scheduled. I've, I've changed my schedule around. My staff is waiting for the new schedule because usually they have it for a year, year and a half, and I have to redo it because I thought, I, I need to get something out of this series. I get something about all of them, but I am tempted to lose heart and have been, and instead of just fighting that, I said, wait a minute, I'm going through this, and I'm hearing the same story from so many of the people that I'm with in our church, 
that this, is, this has got to be something, Lord, that you, you want me to talk about, that you want me to, to talk about what you say about. You want me to, to speak your word about it, find your word, and, and, and present it so that we can all look at it together. And I look at this, I look at this verse, and I, I, I think, how? How? I'm not going to do this. I'm not keeping my heart with all vigilance, and none of you are either. We're not doing it. Now, I know right away that whenever I read something like this, and I know that my level of obedience will never rise to the Scripture, that it's not my keeping my heart that's going to save the day. It's going to be my Savior who saves the day. So it's going to be God keeping my heart. That's what's going to matter. Amen? You know, we have the silly thing that we say, God will never give you more than you can handle. That's a lie. That's a lie. And most of you are dealing right now with more than you can handle. And God gave it to you. You're like, oh, God will give you never more than that. Well, what God is that? That's not. No, the truth is God will never give you more than he can handle. Amen? Right? So I know that. I know that. And I, I look at what he's given and giving me my heart and giving me a changed heart and giving us changed hearts. In Hebrew, heart is pronounced lev. You know, every Hebrew word is three letters and then you build the word from that and so that's the word for heart and it means way more than the physical heart in my chest. I know that. Here's, here's the meaning of lev. It means my inner man, mind, will, not just heart, inner man, mind, will, understanding, soul, knowledge, thinking, reflection, memory, inclination, resolution, determination of will, and conscience, the seat of my appetites, the seat of my emotions and passions, the seat of my courage. So this is what God has given us. And this is what God has changed in us. I know this. So why am I tempted to lose heart and to not keep it with all vigilance. Why is my heart like that unopened gift I described earlier? I know that God has given it to me. I know that he's changed it. What he gives me, no one can take away. I can't really lose what he keeps. I know that what the Bible says in terms of the eternal benefits related to my changed heart are true, but sometimes I seem to get no benefit from it today. The benefits in eternity are clear and glorious. The benefits for this moment, however, are sometimes unclear and missing. Why? What am I unclear about? What's missing from my understanding? Again, our key verse. I'll give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their hearts. Maybe it would be good to look at Jeremiah 24, 7 in its direct context, looking at the chapter. I want to do that. It's a short chapter. I know you hear the word chapter and you think, I thought we were coming to the end. He just said chapter. <laughs> That's not the word I wanted to hear. It's 10 verses and it's from a prophet. So there's some strangeness in there. And in the beginning, he gives us history. So this is after the fall of Judah, Jeremiah 24. 
And then there's a picture of two baskets of figs. I know, that's how prophets speak. And most of the first several times I read this, when I saw the word fig, I thought of fig newtons. You know, until I had a real fig. You ever had a real fig? So it kind of has kind of like the creepy little skin on it and stuff. So from that point on, I realized that the fig newton was an upgrade. You know, (laughs) to the fig, the actual fig. So there's two baskets of figs here and Jeremiah and God having a conversation about these two baskets of figs. Now, to understand this chapter, as you hear, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to put it all on the screen because I'll just see your eyes glaze over. I just want you to hear it. And it, 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 it sounds good as you hear it. But know that what you're going to hear is that God is distinguishing from people who obeyed him and went into exile in Babylon or the land of the Chaldeans, same thing. And he's drawing a line. So here it is, Jeremiah 24. After Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, had taken into exile from Jerusalem, Jeconiah, the son of Jehoiakim, the king of Judah, together with the officials of Judah, the craftsmen and the metal workers, and had brought them to Babylon, the Lord showed me this vision. Behold, two baskets of figs placed before the temple of the Lord. One basket had very good figs. The first ripe, like first ripe figs. But the other basket had very bad figs, so bad that they could not be eaten. And the Lord said to me, what do you see, Jeremiah? I said, figs. The good figs are very good, and the bad figs are very bad, so bad that they cannot be eaten. Then the word of the Lord came to me. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, like these good figs, so I will regard as good the exiles from Judah, whom I have sent away from this place to the land of the Chaldeans. I will set my eyes on them for good, and I will bring them back to this land. I will build them up and not tear them down. I will plant them and not pluck them up. I will give them a heart to know that I am the Lord, and they shall be my people, and I will be their God, for they shall return to me with their whole heart. But thus says the Lord, like the bad figs, that are so bad they cannot be eaten, so will I treat Zedekiah, the king of Judah, his officials, the remnant of Jerusalem who remain in this land, and those who dwell in the land of Egypt. I will make them a horror to all the kingdoms of the earth, to be a reproach, a byword, a taunt, and a curse in all the places where I shall drive them. And I will send sword, famine, and pestilence upon them until they shall be utterly destroyed from the land that I gave to them and their fathers." So very often, when we read passages like this, for many of us, the experience at first is one of feeling bad for those on the wrong side of the line. We feel bad for them, for Zedekiah and those with him, horror, Reproach, byword, taunt, curse, sword, famine, pestilence, utterly destroyed. And among the first responses that we work quickly, I hope, to edit is that, well, God, it just seems like too much. Why do you have to do all that? I thought you were merciful. And and this feeling bad for those on the wrong side of the line, it it causes a misunderstanding. It, It it causes us not to see, not to, not to comprehend what the Scriptures are telling us. It causes us to miss the miracle of the line 
that there is any line at all. It causes us to miss the fact that there are two baskets of figs and not just one. There ought to be just one. Genesis 3 says there ought to be just one. My own life, as I look at my own life and think of my first thought, which is also my first sinful thought, same thing. I think, well, I know where I belong. We all know where we belong, whether we admit it or not. Where did these good figs come from? And you see this story with different details, with different object lessons used. Jesus teaches stories like this all the time. There's a line drawn. And we, we think of the line and think it's, it's all the people who are suffering and, and, and are separated from God. Now, that was all the people. Before Jesus, before the Word of God, before Scripture, before the Holy Spirit, there's no line and there's just one basket and it's all bad figs all the time. The miracle of grace and mercy and forgiveness and redemption is that there is a line. We don't look at Judgment Day that day we, that way. We, we think, oh, that's so terrible. What? No, it's Mercy Day. It's Forgiveness Day. It's Restoration Day. It's finally coming to the Kingdom Day. That's what it is. And the Scriptures want us to heed the warnings, and only believers would, by the way, but... Don't get caught up in that. Don't miss the grace and the mercy. Don't miss the fact that there's a, a second basket. I mean, who caused this? Who made these good figs? Where did they come from? I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their hearts. So as I take this unopened gift and I, I rip the paper off of it and open the box and look inside this ignored and neglected gift, I consider what I said before, the, the experience that I know that these, the benefits of the, of, the, of the changed heart are glorious in eternity. But I remember thinking and saying that, you know, in the moment, though, the moment's muddy and the benefits seem unclear and, and missing. And I asked, I asked, what am, what am I unclear about? What am I missing? What, what's missing from my understanding? And now I know. It has to do with that line. To, to be chosen in eternity is to be chosen right now. To be set apart by heart, by heart change, means that I belong. I belong to his people. This large Imperfect community fumbling its messy way back to him. It's just something I, I, I need to remember, and I lose heart because I forget. I forget who I am. It's an identity thing. I forget who I am because I forget whose I am. When we talk about identity, make sure you get the first identity right. What's that identity? The identity of your Savior, the identity of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen? Get that identity right, and all the rest will follow. And this is what I forget, you know, when, when, when I'm tempted to lose heart. I, I, I forget that there's a second basket, or is it the first basket, with the good figs in it. I, I forget, you know, I, the part of my brain that the Bible does not call heart knows the facts of the gospel. But in the part that the Bible calls my heart, 
Apparently, I forget that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And maybe I forget deep down because I find it hard to believe that God loves me or that anyone loves me for that matter. And I know I'm not alone in that. Sure, I'm tolerated. Sure, I'm, I'm cooperated with even. But, but I'm not chosen, and I'm not loved. People don't, nobody chooses me. People end up with me, you know, but I, I'm not chosen. Uh, I'm alone. Especially God. He's not chosen me. I, I'm alone. I'm friendless. I'm rejected. I'm very much afraid. I'm afraid to open the gift because for some reason I've convinced myself through a set of emotionally powerful lies that it's not mine or worse. I think to myself that it can be mine if I pay for it. That's it. That's it. I got to pay for it. Maybe if I pay for it, maybe if I pay enough for it, it will be mine. And there you have it. Why and how we've invented this thing we call religion. I can't pay for the gift. I can't. It's already been paid for. Amen? And because of what Jesus did for me on the cross, I'm a bad fig made good and placed in the good fig basket. I'm on the right side of the line of judgment. He draws not because I deserve to be, but because he's chosen for me to be. I'm loved whether I feel it or not. It's hard to admit. It's hard to say. Most of us think it's wiser and safer to assume we're not loved. We have a strange strategy Assume the worst, and maybe things will turn out better than you assume. And oftentimes they don't. That strategy is not called faith. That's not what the Bible calls faith. The Bible calls faith those times when we read what it says in the Bible and believe it. That's faith. And in the Bible it says that God loves you. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes, whoever, you're included in that, amen? Whoever believes shall not perish but have eternal life. It's hard to say. It's hard to admit. It's hard to, to say, well, yeah, I'm, I'm chosen. And our heart problems start with that challenge. And, and we're, we're convinced by our past, by our sin life, that often does the trick. We have these sins, we can see them right in front of us, we could, we, we're hiding them even as we speak. Right now, you're here, some of you, and you're hiding your sins, and those hidden sins get to your heart. Somehow, we have this thing that goes in, and we believe it there at the heart. As I said before, we believe the statement, I am not loved. And it is in contrast. It is opposed to Scripture. And we, we, we go all kinds of different ways. We go 
down all kinds of different paths we ought not go when we, we let go of the love of God, when we diminish it. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their hearts. The Word of God performs heart surgery. Here's a brother prophet of Jeremiah's, Ezekiel, and the context of a famous verse where God gives us a new heart. Just listen to these words. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you. Who's doing everything here? I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols. I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. You shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers and you shall be my people, and I will be your God. One God, one gospel, one message with different prophets and preachers presenting that message at different times and in different contexts. I will give them a heart to know me, that I am the Lord. They will be my people, and I will be their God, for they will return to me with all their hearts. Pray with me if you would. Lord, We come to you. We turn to you. We know that it's in your power that we turn to you. We know that these lies we believe, we cherish them. We, we elevate, many of us do, some of us do, we elevate these lies that we hold close to our hearts. And Lord, would you do a work now through your word, it's really through your word that you do this work. Would you do work just through the words we've looked at today? Words of two prophets, mostly one. Words about our hearts and your heart and what you do in our hearts. Lord, we may not feel it. We may not sense it in the moment. We acknowledge this. Our circumstances are unrelated to the truth of your word. Help us to know this. Our circumstances are temporary. Your word is eternal. Our circumstances change exactly like the weather. You are the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. You and your message, your gospel, your word is the same. It doesn't change. Your love for us doesn't change. We can't change it. We can't change you. We can't change your word. And we ought not attempt to. Forgive us for this, Lord. Forgive us for our attempts at changing your word. We come before you broken and healed at the same time. We bring our hearts to you. Minister deeply to our hearts. Replace our stony hearts 
with this new heart you have in mind for us, a heart of flesh, a heart that joins with other hearts changed by you and returns to you. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Let me invite you to rise. Let's worship him. Thank you again for listening to today's sermon. For more resources and information about Goodwill Church, visit goodwillchurch.org. God bless.